Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Steel City Scoop. This is episode 16, and as always, you're joined by your host, Jason Dean Martin. Um, and actually, today, it's going to be kind of a little little bit of a different format. Um, typically, we ask that you put some questions on Twitter, use the hashtag AskSteelCityScoop, and we try to answer one question per episode. Um, today, since we kind of got an influx of questions overnight, I decided to do a whole episode of Ask Steel City Scoop Questions, and I'm going to have a co-host with me today. His name is Shane. You may have seen him in one of the videos or uh, at the Chantilly show recently with me, maybe the Valley Forge show at the end of 2018. Uh, But Shane is joining me today. Go ahead and say hello, Shane, and introduce yourself just a little bit. Hey, how's it going, guys? My name is Shane Tacklitz. I'm a uh, project manager and buyer here at Still City Collectibles. I work with putting together our gold rush line, which you might be familiar with. Uh, really popular with breakers, and obviously uh, everyone just likes to have a good break. Okay, so we're going to jump right into it. Like I said, these questions were asked um, on Twitter, and we're just going to kind of go through as many as we can today, we'll probably spend half an hour, 45 minutes answering some questions. We'll just kind of see how long it takes. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start from the top. I'm going to introduce um, each question with the Twitter handle of the person that asked it. Uh, I'll do as best as I can to pronounce it correctly, but I'm going to go ahead and start with the first one on the feed. Um, it is from Nick Haddix three on Twitter. The question is, what is your favorite card from the nineties? Um, either one card or one from each sport. And before we answer this, I want to give a little disclaimer. Um, there is a little bit of an age difference between me and Shane. So um, I am just about 37 years old and I had to think about that for a second, but I'm just about 37 years old and Shane, you are. I am going to be 23 and I'm up to 22 now. So, about a 14-year age difference. Um, I'm surprised that Shane would even know any cards from the 90s. So we'll see how this goes. This is an easy one for me. Um, 1990s, my favorite year. That is my childhood year uh, of collecting cards. That's the most nostalgic for me. Um, I may have said before, my favorite card from the 90s is probably the 90 Tops, Bo Jackson. Um, and then 1A, so that's 1A. 1B would be the 90 Upper Deck. Uh, Bo Jackson. Anybody that is around my age, maybe a couple years younger, knows that Bo Jackson was the absolute man in the 90s. Uh, so I don't think a lot of people would argue that, but 90 tops and 90 upper deck are not exactly the most valuable cards. But to me, those are the ones I remember um, remember, remember the most um, and the ones that I try to add to my collection, even multiples, if I can pick them up for cheap. So I'll go ahead and let you answer that one. Now, being born in 96, I don't have the same, obviously, experience in the hobby that maybe Jason does here. But uh, my favorite card is actually one that I pulled. Um, everyone that knows me and knows me pretty well knows I love old press pass products because I'm a huge college football fan. 
So I think in Christmas of 2017, I did a hobby box of 1998 press pass football and was lucky enough to pull a Peyton Manning rookie auto. And obviously being a huge Colts fan, uh, I know a lot of people will question that being from New Jersey. Uh, pulling that Peyton Manning auto, uh, it's kind of a runaway from my favorite card from the 90s. Uh, it's just it's a cool picture. It's from one of my favorite sets. Can't really go wrong. Okay. No, no uh, disagreement with you on that one, even though, you know, our answers, it's interesting. Our answers were eight years apart. But <laughs> – they fit timely uh, or fit well in the collection. So uh, the next question is from at FZ breaks. Question is if the league has removed exclusive contracts to Panini, Upper Deck, Tops, et cetera, could competition between them give the collector better products to choose from? Uh, he went on to say, I always thought the hobby was better when companies tried to one up each other. Uh, I'll give you the first stab at this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is actually a fantastic question. I know there's a lot of, People that complain, you know, say Upper Deck, you know, they only have the Jordan rights, the Tiger Woods rights, the Wayne Gretzky rights. You know, obviously the Upper Deck exclusive spokesmen are, uh, you know, some of the greats of the game. You can't pull them in Panini or Topps products. Um, so I know for me, if Michael Jordan and those type of guys had uh, autographs and Panini products, not only would it create a better, I don't want to say a better market, um, but there would be more. There would be a lot more interest in both Upper Deck and Panini Price uh, due to the fact that you can pull Michael Jordan both rather than just one. Uh, so for me, I, you know, it's going back to that age thing. I remember the early '90s as a collector, of course, having probably it seemed like the same amount of products to choose from. However, they were, you know, uh, tops: football, baseball, basketball, hockey. Um, and Fleer, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you know. So it kind of felt like maybe we had the same amount of products that we do now, just kind of spread a little bit more evenly throughout the brands. Um, it really doesn't matter to me if Panini has 30 products or if they have three. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the exclusives just because the card designs but between tops, between Panini, between Upper Deck, uh, there is a, a stark contrast in design, you know, from their employees, their designers in-house. Um, so it really doesn't bother me either way, but there are things that I would like to see, um, like Pantheon is a good one from baseball. Love the product. Uh, I wish it had logos. Lots of Hall of Famers. You know, but even, uh, you know, some of the top designs I would love to see in basketball or in other sports. So it really doesn't bother me one way or the other about the exclusivity of it. It's um, I would like to see some of the designs go across sport lines, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think if you look at, you know, the different types of collectors, obviously college collectors are really, really passionate as are, you know, NFL NBA collectors, you know, they want, they want their team, they want their players. So with upper deck, you know, you, you can only get, you can only get him in his St. Saint Vincent, St. Saint Mary's uniform, whereas people might want him in a Miami Heat jersey or a Lakers jersey. So that's kind of the difference between, I'd say, the two companies and, um, you know, why those preferences that you brought up, Jason, might actually be significant. Yeah, and it's this is one of those questions. There's never a right answer. It's always going to be a, pers- uh, a matter of personal opinion. Um, you know, we could even throw in brands like uh, Fleer and Press Pass uh, that are, you know, Fleer is still around via upper deck. Press Pass is not. Um, you know, but I would love to see some of those designs come back. Uh, the precious metal is definitely a huge thing because the nineties have kind of had a resurgence. Uh, but I think, you know, if those came back to baseball or, 
uh, you know, NASCAR even, you know, maybe that would get some catch fire uh, for some of those brands as well. Okay, moving on. Um, let's see. Next one is from at Sean from Michigan, M-I-C-H. Um, what do you see as a better way to collect? Uh, buying a lot of lower end cards or buying a couple products of higher end cards? Uh, again, no right or wrong answer. This is personal preference. I think on this one, I'll go ahead and answer first. I think it is going to depend on the age of the collector and obviously the income of the collector. Um, and then, you know, going into personality and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think lower end cards is definitely the way for kids. Um, I would say medium or mid range would be the best way to start for an adult. Um, I'm sure I can, you know, provide some more information on this, but I'll let you answer and then see where we go from there. Yeah, I know. I've actually been asked this question a lot. Um, and it's, it's a as, tough one, as for a, sure. Absolutely. And as a young collector, I mean, I, I guess what I tell my friends and other people that ask, collect what makes you unique. So collect things that make you happy. Don't necessarily, um, you know, let your collection be influenced by the opinions of others. Um, so I know for me, you know, I collect racing. Not There's not as many uh, race collectors as there is, say, football, basketball, hockey, per se. Um, but, you know, it's something that, you know, obviously makes me unique. If, you know, collecting getting a Dale Sr. autograph or Dale Earnhardt Sr. autograph or a Jeff Gordon autograph, uh, you know, it's it, it's still me. I mean, it, it reminds me of my childhood growing up, going to races with my dad. Um, so, you know, I think it just speaks, Jason, as you said, you know, it really does depend on your, your budget. But, you know, you want to do nothing but collect balls and ask treasures, you know, that's totally your decision. It's something if, uh, you know, makes you happy, definitely go for it. Yeah, you know, we we spent a lot of time together uh, earlier this, I guess, earlier this month, late in March at the Chantilly Show, and kind of went over some of our collecting habits. Um, you know, for me, big Bryce Harper fan and collector. Um, you know, my son is named after Bryce Harper, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of flack for that. But I would much rather have a thousand Bryce Harper cards than one autograph worth a thousand dollars. And I think it's a matter of being able to sell or unload a collection. Yeah. Um, if I have a thousand cards worth a dollar, I'm not going to sell a thousand cards. There's no way. Uh, but if I have a card that's worth a thousand that I can sell on eBay for a thousand, um, I think if there was something going on like a vacation or a bill or you know something for my son that I wanted to get, I would be much more tempted to sell that one card for a thousand dollars and maybe you know uh spend 500 on a vacation or a trip and then keep the other 500 um so my, i know my personality um the more work that goes involved in it is going to be harder for me to actually get motivated to do um as far as a flipping a collection or uh or selling i guess maybe would be the better term so uh but I think the, I think if you were going to showcase a collection, I would much rather tell you about this oddball card, yeah. you know, from the Uts, like the Uts tops cards that are out right now. I would much rather show you that than a Bryce Harper autograph that's got a sticker, you know, from Tops Baseball, Tier One, 2016, or you know, something like that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, the next one is from. Do, 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 do. NJ Sensation, um, there was a long 
long title there, so I had to find that one. But his question, I'm not going to have a lot of thoughts on, but we'll go ahead and ask it. What are your thoughts on the new Panini app and the new first off the line buying experience? Um, I don't really use the Panini app personally. Um, anything Panini, I usually use a desktop um, computer for. And first off the line, I have not personally bought any boxes, but I've tested out the checkout system since they updated it or installed the new software or whatever you want to call it. Um, from what I've gathered, it seems that it is better than the previous, but I'm not the one to ask. I don't know if you have any experience with this at yeah, all. I, I mean, I was actually one of the first ones I was surprised when Penny changed their app because I had never noticed it. So I noticed when I went on, I was like, oh, this app is... Uh, you know, it needs to be updated. I I have never really actually bought a first off the line box, so I've never used the buying or the, the buying system that goes along with that. Um, but I've seen a lot of people. I mean, I've seen half half of people are really excited about what they get, and half are bummed out that they couldn't get as many as they really wanted. Yeah, and I would imagine there's probably going to be some confusion. Um, people saying that they didn't get a box, and they're going to say that the experience is no better than it was previously, when the two were probably not related. Yeah. Uh, so definitely unfair for me to make a decision or make an assumption on it but from what i have used the uh the new buying experience that he's describing it does seem smoother although i've never actually completed a checkout so uh not the person to ask but you know we try to give you a little bit of insight into it um menard joseph one uh again this is a question that might be a little bit difficult but in what year were the most sports cards sold? Wow. That's a, I mean, this is going to be question. a, yeah, definitely a loaded question. It's going to be tough. Um, I think an easy answer would be pick a year between 1989 and 1993. Yes. And it's probably one of those. And I would even argue that 89 was probably the champ and then 90 beat it. And then maybe so on and so forth. You could probably even go as far back as 86, technically. I was actually going to say 87 first, 87 to 93, um, but I kind of narrowed it down a little bit to 89. But uh, I think, would you agree on that? I would I would agree, especially for baseball and for football purposes. I mean, Absolutely. Baseball. There's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt. And I think it's actually kind of cool when you look back on it because now some of those wax boxes that we had talked about at the Chantilly show – no, go for a lot, but it's fun to open them and kind of just sit back and mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, wow, I remember when he did this and that, you know, kind of just reminiscing about those those players. Yeah. Um, next one, this is an easy one. Um, it's from at JGFan24Ever. Uh, what got you started in the hobby? I'll go, on, go ahead and let you answer first. Well, first of all, I love the, uh, love the handle. I'm a huge Jeff Gordon fan myself growing up. Uh, so what actually got me started in the hobby, um, my dad wasn't a huge collector growing up. Um, I mean, he has a few vintage cars, but what really, what really got me started uh, as a huge racing fan, I just started buying press pass boxes at the local car shop with my dad. We always would go to my grandpa's house. I'd get a Slurpee from 7-Eleven and two packs, of, uh, two packs of racing cards, open them up. And I mean, I just think it's that thrill of pulling your favorite driver or the, the drivers you see on TV. Uh, you know, my first autograph I think I pulled in 2002 was Kyle Petty from 2002 Wheels. You know, I just think those are the type of things that uh, that get a kid really fascinated with the hobby. Pulling nice cards, refractors, autographs. Uh, you know, and I know at first my dad tells me all the time, he's like, yeah, you didn't even know the car was autographed when you first pulled it. They're like, what's this? So, I mean, yeah, my, my start absolutely was uh, due to my, my uh, background with racing. 
so for me, as much as I've been involved in this and in the hobby and, and in the industry, this is a question I really cannot answer. Um, I cannot tell you what got me started. I can tell you early memories. Um, and I've told one story before um, that I actually had some football cards from 89 and had a sucker or lollipop as max corrected me um <laughs> and i needed somewhere to put the lollipop and I actually put it on the back of an 89 score barry sanders rookie card and then found out later hey that card was worth a few bucks um but the earliest collecting memory um that i can remember is it goes back to my favorite card it's the 90 tops bo jackson i can remember getting the card from I guess it's kind of like a fat pack, but it was a double fat pack from 90 tops. And those packs probably had 75 cards or 80 cards or something like that in them. Um, and I can remember getting the Bo Jackson and, you know, thinking back, that card was worth a dollar in the Beckett probably. And that was like getting, you know, a Honus Wagner uh, T206 as, as a kid. So um, I can remember getting it with my grandparents at, I believe a Hills department store and uh, they go out of business. <laughs> that was 90s. So, uh, but I can remember going home and going to my neighbor's house and showing him and just being completely stoked about that card. Uh, so the night, like I said, the 90 tops is uh, the first collecting memory. And then, you know, also going back to the favorite card experience. I would say my first, actual collecting memory if it's not me pulling the autograph card in 2002 because I don't really remember that. The first autograph I remember being like really excited about out of a pack came from 2009 Press Pass Signature Edition. Um, so I've been a Penn State fan my entire life. My dad went to Penn State. My sister went to Penn State. So Derek Lewis is one of my favorite Penn Staters growing up. And he, my dad told me before I went to the, uh, the card store around the corner, don't spend $15 on a pack of baseball cards. It's just you're, you're not going to pull anything good. He's like, save that money. It's your allowance. It's three weeks worth. So I come back, I open the pack, and it's a Derek Williams autograph out of 199. So sure enough, my dad's like, "Here's 30 bucks, go buy two more." So <laughs> that was my first time actually, like, you know, jumping up and down after pulling a card, just because you pulled your icon. It, I remember the game on the picture. I still have the card actually. Uh, it's the opening kickoff that he returned for a touchdown against Coastal Carolina in 2008. Both me and my dad were season ticket holders and were at the game. I think the best part of that story is that you said your icon was Derek Williams from Penn State. Hey, but, hey, hey. <laughs> you know, as a Lions fan, uh, I feel your pain. So, um, next one is from Chad, BEC8231293. Um, I'm, I automatically felt like 8675309 right there. But, okay, so his question is how do you feel about sticker autos? Um, I probably have a little bit more history with this. So I'm going to let you answer because you might have a shorter answer. Yeah. You know, with sticker autos, honestly, I don't mind them because I understand it. You can't send thousands of cards to players anymore because then you're going to have so many redemptions in the product. Just with how busy um, the players schedule, you know, the player schedules are not only in the off season, but obviously during the season. Uh, I think there's, there's cards though, where maybe a sticker auto doesn't look as great as an on-card auto would. And I get that, you know, sometimes, and maybe like an immaculate or an NC, there's a sticker auto and you prefer an on-card. Uh, but at the end of the day, obviously I understand it and I don't really mind it. It's not really going to impact my purchasing decision. If I want to get an on-card autograph versus a sticker autograph, sure you prefer the on-card, but you know, it, it's give or take. So I have a, at least one story to go with this. So, um, 
obviously I'm older. I've been collecting, you know, probably more years than he had, than Shane has. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I remember is the early 2000s, Don Russ had silver stickers as opposed to the clear stickers. The old FLIR stickers. I remember those. Uh, not even the like, FLIR. Like These Don thousand. Russ were not quite hologram stickers, okay. but they had a, like a silverish metallic background. Um, way different than the clear stickers are now. You know, thank God for the clear stickers at least. Um, that's a huge improvement over the old silver ones because um, these used to just look like silver stickers that somebody just threw on a card. At least the clear ones, for the most part, blend in. Um, but I actually went to college or at Point Park in Pittsburgh with a guy named Donnie Kelly or Don Kelly, who's actually a coach for the Houston Astros right now. Um, he played for the Tigers, um, Pirates, Marlins, I believe, or maybe he was a coach for the Marlins. Either way, um, I remember handing him a stack of cards for him to sign in class. And he had made the comment of, oh, it's cool to actually see the cards as he's signing them, as opposed to getting a stack of sticker sheets from Don Russ and not knowing where they're going to end up. Um, granted, for the player, the athlete, the coach, you know, whoever, I'm sure the stickers are 100 times easier. Um, and I know we've all seen the video of Vlad recently signing and pitching into cards into yeah. a box. Uh, I'm sure that didn't make a lot of people happy. So I see it's that point counterpoint on the stickers where from the company's perspective, you don't have players throwing cards into a box. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, using stickers, you know, most likely the collector's not necessarily going to be unhappy, but not as satisfied as they could be. Uh, so it's a double-edged sword. I see both sides of it. Um, it just sucks that that's where we're at, that – so much is going on, uh, you know, that somebody like Vlad is signing 10,000 autographs instead of 1,000. I would much rather have 1,000 and then be on card than see 10,000 stickers. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think the satisfaction, you know, to your point, I think doesn't necessarily come that it's on card, but it's the fact that your athlete actually handled the card. See, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. No? Because I, mean, I know I'll Unless still fingerprints on there. Maybe. Sometimes, like if I'm buying a car for the company or buying a car for myself, either way, I'll kind of be like, wow, you know, I wonder if the athlete looked at this card and was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, that just goes through my mind. I don't know if other collectors feel the way. I'm sure they do. But yeah, I, mean, I guess that's the cool part with on card always you don't get with stickers. Because, like you said, they actually see the card, they see what they're signing, right. see the patch, you know. And, and what you said right there of. You know, to you, it's cool that the athlete handled the card. And then to me, I'm just like, yeah, I could care less. You know, that's the same opinion that people have about the stickers and with everything else that we probably are going to talk about today. You know, there's no 100% answer that's going to work for everybody and no 100% thing that's going to irritate everybody. So uh, that's why this is always a good discussion and it's nice to have. And I actually asked Shane to join me today because of the age gap. Um, I thought it would be interesting to see what the two perspectives were being, you know, 16, 17 years apart. Yep. So um, the next one, I do want to make sure we get to one. So if we have to skip a couple, we will. Let's do this one real quick. Uh, this is, again, from JG Fan 24 ever What's the oldest card in your collection? How did you acquire it? I'll let you go first on that one because I need to think. Hmm. Wow. My oldest card... 
I think my oldest card is a 62 Tops Sam Jones. Um, I acquired it actually on Check Out My Cards or Calm C, whatever you want to call it. But I solely acquired that card. I purchased it for, you know, a dollar or two solely because he is from my hometown, um, which is a very small town in West Virginia. Uh, so I have that. But the, I would say the other old card that I actually have because of value or because I want to see it rise is, I believe it's a 74 uh, Tops Kellogg's 3D Eddie Murray. Technically, his rookie year, um, it's not really like his base rookie card. Yeah. Um, but it's Orioles, which is a team that I love, East Coast baseball. And it's the old orange, white, and black uniforms that they kind of brought back recently. Um, I got a PSA graded for a few bucks, but it's a rookie. It's a Hall of Famer. It's Orioles. So I couldn't go wrong. And it's something different. Everybody has his Topps rookie card, but this is like that Topps 3D from Kellogg's cereal. I think my oldest card in my collection, I had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that my dad wasn't huge into collecting, but he had some cards that he then passed on to me, of course. So my oldest card is a 1972 Topps Terry Bradshaw that I still have. Um, Amongst some others, I think there's like Hal Carmichael in there, the old uh, Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver. But my oldest card, I mean, Jason, I know you brought up oldest card of actually like value, would be in my PC, and it's a 1994 of a few of them. Superior picks, autographs of Terry Collins. Kajana Carter and Kyle Brady from the 1994 Penn State Rose Bowl team. Okay, so there's a few more questions than I realized we had, so I'm going to kind of go through and pick out a couple instead of just rolling down the list here. Um, This one is kind of relevant to recent happenings in the hobby. So this one is from the angriest Chad. Um, How successful successful do you think the Haynes-Michael Jordan promotion will be? And will this be the start of a new wave of promotional cards? So before we even go any further, do you know about this situation? I do know about the Michael Jordan. Okay. Old enough, and I don't mean this as a dig, (laughs) I swear. Are you old enough to remember cards and food products? Yes. What do you remember? I remember, once again, with racing, there was a old John Andretti, and this is probably like 2002 or 2003, the Cheerios card, number 43, and actually inserted cards into cereal boxes. Okay, was this a single card or were these packs? A single card. Were they all the same? Yes. Okay, so even that is a little outside of the realm. Um, You know, Steve, across the room over here, he and I were talking uh, about this Topps Uts promotion that's going on right now. I mean, I posted a video and an article on the scoop today. Um, So Topps has 100 card Uts set in packages of Uts potato chips and it's the snack packs that have the 12 like lunch size bags of chips um this is the first promo that has really been uh besides the michael jordan this is the first promo that of a food issue card um this big for as long as i can remember um unless i'm you know forgetting something but i can remember as a kid you know hostess post cereal um but these would the ones that would come in those food items would come in packs and you'd get two or three cards. So if you're trying to build a thirty card set and as a kid, you know, two dollars is like two hundred to an adult. Um so this kind of takes me back to that childhood, um, childhood collecting. Uh I think with the Michael Jordan, 
the Michael Jordan Haynes situation, uh, that promotion is is very cool. Uh, the autographs are extremely limited. One in a hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean one in one and never. Well, the funny the funny thing is, is you know, if I pulled up Michael Jordan, uh, thank goodness it's in a pack of underwear because it probably is. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, yeah, if you pull one of those, and the thing with this is, you know, how many. Um, people that aren't in the hobby are going to be buying these cards and you know half of them are not even going to open them and throw them away so yeah. how many of these Jordan cards are just going to be tossed out um, the same with the top Utz chips cards uh, I think a lot of those will just get tossed out they're not numbered or anything like that but I think I think this stuff is more limited than people give it credit for mm-hmm. um, but the Haynes it's a lot. It's the Haynes uh, promotion with Michael Jordan seems like it's a lot more widespread, and those are upper deck cards. Um, and I think that caught everybody by surprise. It wasn't something that upper deck promoted until after they came out. Um, I know Tops promoted the Uts cards at the industry conference, which was earlier this year, and people have been waiting on the cards like me. Uh, so this is something I've been waiting on for 60 days, two months or so. Uh, where the upper deck Haynes one was pretty cool, in my opinion, because it kind of caught people by surprise. Um, you know, somebody like Watch the Breaks, you know, opened a pack live, and uh, we tweeted back and forth that day, and it, it seemed like all of a sudden people were buying shirts, and I even saw uh, breakers doing breaks of these packs of cards and with uh, the undershirts and stuff from Haynes, and nobody... It's undershirts and underwear, right? I think... Oh. And unfortunately, it's not socks because I needed a few packs of socks. Uh, but yeah, I believe it's definitely undershirts. I don't know for sure if it's uh, underwear or briefs or whatever you want to call them. But I mean, I think the cool thing, you know, that I would like to add to is like, what's the point of a promotion? It's to make people excited. And I think that Upper Deck succeed with that, especially the promotion, because yeah. you're you're seeing people post on social media like, oh yeah, just ran to Target, picked up three packs of Hanes, and so if I can get an autograph. I saw facing them. Yeah. I saw a post today where somebody grabbed Hanes shirts or underwear, Uts chips, and then they said something else like, I made my target run or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, and you were stopped by the car now. Yeah. And yeah. that's what's cool about it is people were actually excited um, about these cards that are in chips and underwear. And yeah, it's, it's cool when they don't overdo it. And I think that is the key to this sort of thing. Now, Tops does this. 12 times a year, you know, okay, the excitement's going to be gone. But I think that it's when it's minimal, that's when it helps. Um, okay. Next, next question is from the Safe Space 83. Um, this one says, I used to love to collect as a kid, but that was 20 years ago. And now I'm getting back into the hobby. What's a good way to ease yourself back into it and not be overwhelmed? I want to say one word on this one, and I think it's sampling. I was going to say niche. Find your niche. I would I would even argue that mine is probably step one and yours is probably step, step two. two. Yeah. yeah. You know, go to Target and spend $100, but buy 20 different packs. Yeah. That's a good and then good. see what happens. Um you know, that is the nice part about the hobby is there are price points for everybody. Yes. Um, and I'm one that loves to take advantage of that. I'm not a person that spends, you know, $100 a week and buys a box a week. Um, I'm more willing 
and more apt to go to Target and spend ten dollars ten days in a row because I don't notice it as much, you know. But if I spend a hundred dollars once, I'm like, oh, that hurts, yeah. you know. So I think sampling is the best. You know, I'll let you kind of answer too and see what you think. I think sampling is definitely the best. I think collecting uh, as a whole is more gradual than I think people give it credit for. So if you come in as a kid, you're generally focused on the low end, the base, just trying to collect your favorite players. Then maybe you take a step up, maybe see your friend in middle school or high school pull an autograph card, like, oh, wow, I want to pull an autograph card. So maybe you do your first hobby box where you're guaranteed one or two autographs, maybe one or two memorabilia cards. And then from there, possibly you go up to higher end or, you know, like that upper mid end. Um, but I think, like I said, it's more of a more of a process than a lot of people talk about. So you can try all these different products. You can go to Target. You can go to your hobby shop if you're lucky enough to have one around like I was. And, yeah, I mean, just try out different products and, like I said, see what your niche is. Find what your, your favorite product is. You know, just go from there. Yeah, and kind of to piggyback off of that question, a few people asked uh, in a general sense, what's the best way to start your child in card collecting? Um, and I, I think the answer for this one is the same as the answer we just had for that question. Uh, I think sampling, you know, letting them pick out what they want. You know, um, I'm a huge baseball collector, but I'll buy basketball and football, um, you know, when the mood strikes me, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So kind of let them go pick out a couple of things. Maybe your kid likes heritage because they like the old stock or maybe they they like the shiny chrome or optics so um i mean my answer again for this one is sampling not to copy you know from the previous question but uh, i think that's the best i don't know what you think as far as kids i think one of the greatest things about the hobby uh that's kind of not talked about again is the fact that we have so many manufacturers that make so many different products so if your kid is feeling football one day, you can do a box of, you know, any prestige football. If he wants to do baseball the other day, you can do top series one or series two. If he wants to do hockey the other day, you can, do, you know, go do upper deck MVP from Target. So there's there's so many different price points, as you had mentioned previously, and yeah, there's just definitely. so many different looks, so many different, uh, what's the word, just, just, just so many different levels of collecting uh, that you can really get yourself into and enjoy. And, I mean, I know with my collection – there will be one day where I will do like a $200 box of Splendor Hockey. And then the next day I'm like, yeah, you know what? I kind of want to get some cool base cards just to go along with that and kind of start building my hockey collection. So I'll do a $30 box of OPG. So I just think that's something that's enjoyable for a lot of people, especially like myself. Kind of going back to uh, the question before, and now I'm trying to think what exactly that question was. Um Okay, so easing yourself back into the hobby, not being overwhelmed, you know, and going to the price point, you know, just take Panini products, for example, and Topps has done it a lot more recently as well, but there are, let's say, um, let's just say Prism Basketball, you know, you're doing a $3 pack at Target, you have a $10 pack that comes with three packs and a bonus, and then you have blaster boxes for 20 and then you have mega boxes for 40 and then you have retail boxes for 72 and then you have hobby for 200 so i mean you're you're going it's kind of almost like seven products or six products or however many price points i just listed you're going all the way from three dollars to 200 and that goes back to the sampling buy a pack for three dollars 
if you don't like it, you're out three dollars. Yeah. yeah, you know, don't buy two hundred dollar hobby boxes and then complain. Um, I think that is one thing that is very wrong with the hobby today, not to go off on a tangent, but I think um, everybody assumes you have to buy a hobby, you have to buy a hobby. And for somebody like me that is in the uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, right along the West Virginia border, there are not hobby shops around. And granted, we work for Still City Collectibles with a wide race of a selection available to us. It's a totally different experience versus right. a hobby shop versus a wholesale. Right. Correct. Yep. But even going to the hobby shop, I don't have the opportunity, but I can go to six different Walmarts and Targets within 15 minutes, and each one is going to have a different selection yep. to a degree because this vendor made it out before this one did or vice versa. Yep. Uh, and you know, I'm very happy not buying $200 hobby boxes every week and getting smoked. Um, you know, I would much rather, like I said, spend $10 a day for 10 days than $100 once, um, which is, my wife would say, backwards thinking. Yeah. But, yep. you know, it makes me feel good and doesn't make me feel like I'm wasting money. So, uh, kind of all those, Dave, just to tie it together, kind of all of goes back to what we said earlier. Find your niche and yep. collect what makes Absolutely. you unique and what makes you happy. So, I think whatever way that you determine is best for that is the best way. Yeah. So we'll do two more questions. One, I definitely want to get to because it's interesting. Um, and I did a little bit of research. So I kind of cheated a little bit, Shane, on this one. Um, so you're going to hang me out the dry here because I didn't? Uh, I think <laughs> it's an easy one for you, luckily. But, man, there's a lot of questions that I cannot find. All right. So I'll find it eventually on this list. But in general, it's like they changed the order. There we go. <laughs> So this one is from Jared Marco one. Why is the pricing extremely different on a Wayne Gretzky rookie card between each grade? Um, you're the buyer of cards right now for single cards, but I did a little research on this and I kind of wanted to see what the price differences were. So give me a minute to do the breakdown. So I did PSA and I did tops. I did not do a peachy yeah. uh, PSA four is right around 300. A five is about three. 375, 400, six is 500, a seven is about 600, an eight jumps to 1300, and then a nine jumps to 9,000. So between a seven and a nine, you're talking an $8,500 jump, more or less. Um, these are actual completed sales on eBay. Uh, so this is, this is one item. This is not, you know, 20 sales per grade in the middle on the average. This is like the most recent one that I could find. Um, so you're talking $8,500 jump between a seven and a nine and roughly a $7,500 jump between an eight and a nine. So huge jumps between a seven and eight, a seven and a nine and an eight and a nine. So I have my documented answer in my numbers here, but I'm going to let you come into this blind and see if you have the same answer that I do with statistics. Well, I don't think my answer is necessarily based off statistics. It's more based off, I mean, obviously the condition, but you have to think of how hard it is to get a card that's a PSA 9 from, you know, that was from a pack that was open probably 35, 40 years ago. 79, 80 is the year. So you're talking so. 40 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. the thing is, if you're talking a pack that was open 40 years ago, to get, a, to get a card that looks like it was open yesterday, I mean, you got to think about how hard that is. For all the wear and tear and how it must be stored, I, yeah, I can't even put that together, really. I mean, that's 
I mean, a nine is remarkable for a vintage card that you know that age. Oh, that age, so, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, granted, it also goes into it's Wayne Gretzky, it's his rookie. Yeah. It's old. Um, you know, forty years old. Um, it's PSA. PSA is traditionally the go-to for vintage graded cards. Um, the one thing, and here's where the numbers are going to come into it. Um, kind of did a little bit of research. Almost 5,400 cards have been graded by PSA, of, or 5,400 copies of this Gretzky have been graded. Here's why there's such a difference. 1,145 have been graded in eight, so roughly 21%. Only 127 have been graded in nine, which is 2%. Uh, so you're talking 2% of all the cards submitted were a PSA 9 out of that 5,400, roughly. So it's kind of like saying that somebody's really smart versus somebody's a genius, yeah. uh, if that yeah. makes any sense. You know, you're definitely taking it to that next level. And this isn't what we're talking about, but I thought it was interesting. Out of those 5,400, only two have been graded a PSA 10. Um, and I think a PSA 10 just sold within the past year or so. And I want to say it was up in the, I thought it was up almost like $100,000. I might be wrong. Aggressive? Uh, but I thought one sold, unless it was Beckett. Uh, but there was definitely one that was very high, like Jordan money high. Um, or Jeter money high, even for that matter. So, uh, but when you have two that are graded a PSA 10, it's obviously a tough card yeah. to come in a high grade, and only 2% are graded a nine. Um, you know, you're talking out of 5,400, 5,200 were graded an eight or less. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's extremely tough. So let's do one more. Let's see. Let's do this one that's a complete matter of opinion. I already have an answer. It's very easy. From Blood in Stone 108 on Twitter, who do you see being the next big NBA star worldwide? I think this is an easy one. Can I, can I cheat? Because obviously I'm going to say Luka Doncic. But he is an international player, so he already has that acclaim and fame worldwide. You're stealing my answer. (laughs) I thought this was an easy one. I kind of was curious to see if um, you're – because you're from Philadelphia area. Yeah, 40 miles from Philadelphia. Um, I'm from roughly the Pittsburgh, West Virginia area. Um, There is, you know, 15, 16 years apart in age. Kind of just wanted to see if we had a different answer. That's kind of why I threw it out there. Yeah, to but me, you have the exact same. As to I me, do. to me, Luca's a runaway. Like I said, I was like, can I cheat? Because he came from what was it, Croatia? Or, I, I don't, Slovenia or Slovenia, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but he's he's a European star. Everyone knew about him before the draft. You know, even two or three years ago, they're like, oh, when, when is Luca going to declare? Yeah. So I know when he declared, it was such a big deal, and everyone's like, okay, where's he going to go? But when you already have that rock star appeal internationally it's like okay well, he's already a star so it's an easy choice yeah i think for me this one the whole point of this you know the easy part was that it said worldwide yeah um excuse me if it didn't say worldwide i might even have still said luka Doncic, but i think when you put worldwide in there and everybody knows that basketball is the most global sport besides soccer yes uh 
especially when it comes to cards. Uh, I think Luca is the runaway. You got to keep your eye on Zion Williamson too coming out in a few months. I True, mean, and I wasn't even going that far. No, I mean, you, know, I wasn't you really can't. Next year. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's easier for us to say that because, you know, Luca's kind of already established at this point. He's already right. averaging 20 points a game. Zion's got to come. He's got to prove himself. He's going to get, he's going to get one of those huge endorsement deals. Uh, but once I think that happens, then it's going to be like, okay, we'll show it on the court. Yeah. You know, Luca already has in that, in that regard. You know, and for me, uh, personally, I'm not a huge NBA fan, um, but Luca definitely brought me back to being a fan. And at least, you know, if I'm flipping through the channels and there's a basketball game on, I'm at least checking to see who's playing yeah. other than just bypassing the game altogether. Um, so he definitely brought me back into the basketball world a little bit. Um, you know, I had the silver prism that I just sold. Oh, um, I sold it. <laughs> to buy okay. a signed Luca jersey. So, plus I still had a little bit of money to put in my pocket. Uh, so, I can say that I have not spent $300 on one item in years. So, for me to say that it was a basketball item and not Bryce Harper, you know, yeah. that, that's yeah. a big deal uh, for me. Um, I would much rather read Baseball America than watch an NBA game typically. So I guess where's your place for that jersey? The next um, in the box right now. So nowhere yet. Um, but you know, I figured if I could sell the prism, maybe I sold it a couple minutes, a couple months too late. Uh, but I flipped it for a jersey. So you know, if you can get me to buy basketball, you're doing something right. So that's funny you said that you wouldn't. Want to spend 200 300 bucks on something too often? Here I am doing Splendor Hockey. <laughs> it went well, everybody, but two well. dresses. So. All right, so I'm going to do a quick run through real quick, see if there's anything we can do real fast because uh, we're going on an hour now. Um, whew, that's a tough one. That can't be answered. Right <laughs> well, no, that one. So let's do the one last one. We'll, do a, we'll call it a bonus question. This one is from RJL, RJEL78. This is definitely the last question. What would you change about the hobby as it stands today? I think the majority of the hobby will say one thing. We'll see if you agree. Uh, we already kind of discussed what my answer is going to be. That would be, that would be the exclusive mm-hmm. deals. I, I would absolutely want to see... Uh, players like Jordan and Tiger Woods and all those guys be featured not only in just upper deck products, but all the different products and all the different manufacturers. I just think that not, you know, someone made the point that there was so much competition, all the companies trying to one up each other. I feel like when you get that superstar player to sign that exclusive deal, that's kind of the current version of a company one upping, you know, one upping each other. Mm -hmm. But I would rather see that, that diversity of products that maybe we had in 2000 or 2001 or 2002. Uh, my-